For a preacher, Mother's Day can be a little bit challenging. Do you preach on it? Do you acknowledge it? Do you ignore it? What what do you do? How do you do it? Because a preacher, and certainly I am very aware this morning, even in this very audience as I look around, that for some, Mother's Day is a hard day. If you've been unable to have children, Mother's Day is... It's kind of salt in the wound. If uh, you have an estranged relationship with your mother, Mother's Day is hard. If you have uh, lost your mother in the past uh, year, it's certainly hard. So we acknowledge all of those things and understand that, yes, there, there are some for which this day is challenging. And at the same time, we want to just, by the same token... Acknowledge the importance and the value and the gift that mothers are in our lives. Uh, we wouldn't be here if not for our mothers. Of course, Dad had a part in that too. We understand, but but moms, moms are moms have been with us since the very beginning. Uh, since you started, the the only other one there was God knitting you together. But it was in your mother's womb where He did that work. She has provided more for your existence of life on earth than you'll ever fully understand. You don't even know all of the misery you put your mother through, and that was just in the first nine months. You kicked her in the back, and you jumped on her bladder, and, and you made her body go through all sorts of changes. She went through that process and delivered you through that painful process, sometimes injuring herself. She she did all that and would do it all over again for you. So mothers are a blessing. Even after you're born, she made sure that the basic needs of your life were met. From food, clothing, shelter, warmth, and of course, a mother's love. Mothers give us lots of things throughout our lives, and to have a day where we honor them seems appropriate. Of course, Mother's Day is not a religious holiday. There's really not a lot in the Bible said about mothers specifically. Mother's Day is actually a secular holiday. But the Scripture does say to give honor to whom honor is due, and I think it's certainly a good thing to honor moms for all they do and for all they've given to us. One of the things that they give us, of course, is wisdom. I have a, a friend, a preacher friend of mine, who asked for some sermon help with today, and he asked this question. Give me some of your favorite one-liner wisdom that your mother gave to you. Some of these were very interesting, I, I would share. Uh, someone said, when you point a finger, you always have three pointing back at you important thing for preacher to remember. Uh, Someone said, we used to joke about my mom getting old, and she'd reply, the older you get, the better you get, except for bananas. Someone's mother said, nothing good happens after midnight. Someone else's mother said, you run with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. 
Someone else's mother said, what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. What you plant is what you will grow. Someone else's mother said, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. (laughs) Another mother said, remember who you are and whose you are. Another mother said, I think every mother has said this at some point, oh, you'll have kids one day. What's the second part of that blessing? And they'll be just like you. (laughs) Someone else's mother said, happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness is an emotion and joy is found in Jesus. Someone else's mother said, love is a choice, not a feeling. Someone else's mother said, don't try to carry a lazy man's load. Someone else's mother said, you have two ears and one mouth, listen more than you talk. And someone else's mother said, your mouth is writing checks your rear end can't cash. (laughs) Well, our mothers give us lots of things, and certainly wisdom is one of those things. But you need to know that your mother has thought about you from the very beginning. Um... Your mother has thought of you and prayed for you and worried over you, whether you are one or 91. If your mother is alive, then you are on her heart every day. Fewer things are stronger than a mother's love. Mothers love their family and their children deeply and often sacrificially, giving of themselves. And this God-given maternal instinct is natural. It's just wired in there, and it's undeniably strong. And when you understand the maternal instinct, that, that, that love that will cause a mother to give and give and give for her children, and even her children's children, then the three Bible stories we're going to look at this morning seem rather curious. But I hope that you'll join me there. We're going to look at three stories from the Bible this morning, accounts of mothers who did some unusual things. The first is found in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4, right there at the beginning of chapter 2. And um, this tells us the story of Moses' mother, although she's not named here, we know later from Scripture that her name was Jochebed. Exodus chapter 2 tells us this about Jochebed. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. And when she could hide him no longer... She took for him a basket made of bulrushes or pitch and and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. I'm sorry, bulrushes, uh, papyrus. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. The story of Jochebed bravely hiding her son son there along the banks of the Nile in Exodus chapter 2. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Another strange story about a mother who made 
an unusual offering. There was a man, uh, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of, of Sam, 1 Samuel. If you don't know where that is, page 285 in that pew Bible will get you there. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramalthazophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerhoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. One was Hannah, and the other was Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where, his two, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. One day, when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Elkanah, the pure example of male sensitivity. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the door of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. And I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, her voice was not heard. And Eli, the epitome of a sensitive male preacher, took her to be a drunken woman. Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, no, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And Eli answered, go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And the woman went away her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning, and they worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. And I've asked, and for she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. Now, as we go forward in the story, verse 21, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord to the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned. I think about all this time she has waited and waited and waited. Here she has her baby boy for which she has prayed. She says, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, 
who I'm sure had many more questions than answers, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait only until you have weaned him, and may the Lord establish his word. So she remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Some commentators say perhaps the bull was older than the child. And they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, I am the woman who is standing in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. I can't. This, there's so many parts of this story that doesn't make sense. Jochebed, that's one thing. I mean, you know, remember your firstborn child when you had them? You remember how many times you made people sanitize their hands before holding your child? You remember how, how san- you sanitized all the bottles multiple times? And, and, and Jochebed takes this three-month-old and puts him in a basket in the Nile River and watch him float away. And Hannah... And has had no children and has been weeping and frustrated and anxious and nervous. And and finally God grants her her requests and she's pledged her only son to him. And she follows through. She has her only son. And when the child's old enough to be fed outside of his mother, she brings him to the temple and leaves little Samuel with the priest. Don't any of you be getting any ideas, okay? <laughs> but these two offerings are just, they don't, they don't make sense to me. They, they seem to violate every aspect of the maternal instinct that a mother knows is so natural. And each, each account, a mother made an unthinkable sacrifice, an unfathomable act that went against her natural instinct. And of course, the one that we know the best, arguably, I guess, is in John chapter 19, as we sit at the feet of Jesus, not in a teaching capacity, but rather at the cross. Now, if you can get yourself to the cross, John chapter 19, verse 17, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. Going on down to verse 23. Now think of this. Mothers, think of this. Think of what Mary was going through as she stood at the cross. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments. They took his, they took one of the few pieces of property her son had on earth and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier and also his tunic. The tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. They said, let's not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. And so this was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now you sit there as you, 
as a mother and thinking of the, how many times as a babe and as a child Mary clothed Jesus. And now she's watching this scene as soldiers gamble for his last pieces of clothing as a 33-year-old man. The soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophus, Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then to a disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, this would be John, took her to his own home. This is why we believe that Joseph had died by this point. Under Jewish law, Mary would have been destitute. She had no one to help him, no one to provide. That fell to the oldest son. The oldest son was on the cross. Jesus, with his last few remaining breaths, appoints John to be Mary's adopted son, to take on the responsibility of the eldest, to take care of Mary. Can you even imagine what it was like for Mary on that day? Each of these women did something that was unimaginable. And after reading those three accounts, I just have one simple question And it's how could a mother do that? Now, sometimes we think of that question in a negative way. You hear terrible stories of a a mother abusing her own child or or taking the life of her own child. And, And you just think, how could a mother, how could a mother do that? That's not the way I'm asking the question. I just... I think about the courage and the faith that it took of these three women to do what they did. To understand in context the answer to the question, how could a mother do that, is very simply this. Her faith in God was steadfast. Her faith in God believed that God had a bigger purpose and a bigger plan and that God would take care of all of the things concerning her child. That God would take care of that. All three offerings were rooted in the mother's deep and abiding faith in God. Now, mothers are known for being consummate givers. They give from the moment of conception forward and all throughout their time as motherhood. And certainly while the children are in the home, but even beyond that, mothers are the consummate givers. And sometimes we understand they, sacrif- they make offerings that are even sacrificial in nature. But I want to propose to you this morning that, that of all the things a mother gives, the greatest thing that a mother offers, her children, her families, comes down to one thing. Her sincere faith in Almighty God. The sincere faith of Jochebed and Hannah and Mary. That was the greatest blessing that they gave to their children, to their families, and even to us who read of these accounts centuries past their occurrence. If you want to follow me to the New Testament, join me in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, a well-known Mother's Day scripture, but an important one. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. 
He's in prison. This is probably one of the last letters that he'll write. Maybe the last. And he writes it to his son in the faith, Timothy, the young preacher. And he's recalling how long he's known Timothy. And how long he's known Timothy's family. And he writes this. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Great mothers show their families great faith in a great God. I'll say that again. Great mothers show their families great faith in a great God. Now, being a mother is hard, and it's something that I cannot speak from experience, so bear with me, but being a mother has always been challenging and required a giving of yourself. But in today's day and age, it's almost, it seems to me, to be a hundred times harder Because the sacrifices that you give and give and give of yourself, you then have the opportunity at a moment's notice to just swipe up and swipe up and and instantly compare yourself with every other mother at the same time and feel like you don't measure up, feel like you're not doing it right, that you could be doing more. And and I I just want to give you some peace this morning, mothers. If you do nothing more than pointing your children and your families to Jesus Christ, you have done everything in the world to bless them. This is what great mothers do. We think about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but but great mothers point us to the God of Jochebed, Hannah, and Mary. And so, mothers, if you'll just take a little bit of the pressure off yourself and take away all of the comparison games, all of the jealousy and all of the, all of the what-ifs and all of the self-doubt, and just, just follow the example of Jochebed and Hannah and Mary. Follow the example of Lois and Eunice and point them to the only God who saves Point them to the only God who knows the purpose of their children. Point them to the only God that can truly protect them. Point them to the only God who loves them even more than their mama. Point them to the only God who can truly deliver them. You delivered them first, and God will deliver them best. And so, for moms today... I I get that it's a struggle. And and certainly when it comes to faith, I know it's easier not to. I, I know it's easier not to. Because you've got so many options in today's world. I mean, the world's pressure on you to make your child an all star athlete by the age of six. If you don't have your kid on the ball field, 72 hours during the weekend and on traveling teams, you know, 10 months of the year, you are failing them. And let me just say to you, no. I'm not, nothing against playing ball, nothing against 
people who do well in sports and all of that. I'm just saying, that's not the greatest blessing you'll give them. I know as a young mom, sometimes you're fighting with the kids and you see moms coming in and out and you think, what was the point? What was the point of that? I didn't get anything. I didn't hear the, the, the song sung. I didn't hear the, the, the sermon preached. What was, the, what was the point of showing up? And the point of showing up is bringing your children and helping them to realize that God's very important and that worshiping someone who's greater than us matters. And when you do that, you're blessing your children, even if you don't feel the blessing today. Someday when your children are at your funeral, they'll want the hymns that your mother loved sung. Because those hymns were hidden in your heart because of your mother's faith. I, I know that it's, it's a fight and I know that it's a struggle and I know sometimes you may wonder what's the point. And I just want to point you to these three women and say keep pointing them back to God. Even though it's hard. Bringing up little ones to know a big God changes the world, changes people you'll never meet. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. We don't know much about Lois and Eunice. To my knowledge, they're not mentioned in the scriptures outside of 2 Timothy chapter 1. These two women, a mother and a grandmother, <laughs> do you think they had any idea that we would be talking about their example to Timothy 2,000 years later? I'm guessing they had no idea. But that's the blessing of a mother's faith. That's what Paul remarked about Timothy. I see that faith in you and I know it lived in your mother and your grandmother as well. So mothers, remember that you're doing the eternal work of God. And that's not seen in the everyday, most of the time. You're doing the eternal work, and that doesn't often show up in the everyday. So keep praying with your families. Keep praying with your children at bedtime. Keep reading them the Bible stories. Yes, we have a great kids program, but it's even a greater blessing when children hear their own mother read the Bible stories to them. Keep bringing your babies to church. We'll still have nurseries. We'll still have cry rooms. The preacher doesn't even mind when the, when the children cry in here because that's the sign of a growing healthy church. You want to hear a dying church? You, you listen to a silent auditorium. When there are no babies in church, that spells trouble for the church. So keep bringing those babies. Keep bringing those little ones. Keep your purse full of crayons and Cheez-Its and Cheerios and sippy cups. If you're a mom here this morning and you have a, a purse full of snacks and a diaper bag full of activities to keep the children busy, could you just raise your hand for a second? Good for you. Good for you. That deserves a round of applause. Because... 
You don't see it, but you're doing the eternal work of God. And I know it doesn't seem like it, but keep bringing your children to church. Keep bringing your children to Bible classes, Anita will want me to say. Keep bringing them because it matters, because they learn the stories. And they, As a kid who didn't grow up, hearing the facts, hearing the stories, hearing about God, I need to tell you that that really matters. Keep pointing them to God. Keep showing them to him. Keep teaching them to trust in the Lord. That's the eternal work of God. Okay, that's the practical part of it. Your mother doesn't just want you to go to church with her. And if you're here with her because your mother wants you to go to church with her, you blessed her. But, but more than that, your mother wants you to go to heaven with her. And I hope that you want that as well. And if you want to go to heaven with her, the Bible says there's only one way. It's through the eldest son of the last mother we talked about, Jesus the Christ. He's not just the eldest son of Mary, he's the son of God. And he died for you. And he said, if you want to follow me, just believe and trust in me and be baptized. And if you're ready to make that decision this morning, we'd be honored to help you make that decision, to help you go to heaven. If you have that need or any other need, here's how you respond. Just go to the back. Our shepherds will be there, and they can help you in whatever way, and they will help you, whatever we can do. Uh, if you have a spiritual need, won't you come as together we stand and say.